0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And we are going to uh, consider this morning, once again, we are, uh, if you uh, notice all the songs and the, the theme this morning we sang about, one of God's attributes that our verse today uh, is focused around and our verse this week. And I hope that as we learn these verses together, as we talk about some of the background, the context, that will help you uh, get a little better feel for uh, how the verse fits into God's word as they are considered foundational for our lives. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, we just pause for a moment and just want to reaffirm what we just sang. Uh, We acknowledge today how great you are, that you are holy. You are worthy of our praise. And we are here today to praise you and to worship you. We call this our worship service because everything that is done in this service, whether it's the singing, the sharing prayer requests, reading the word, greeting one another, we are here to worship you. We love you and we thank you that we can call you our God, our Father, the Holy Spirit dwells within, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, and the Savior of this world for all who receive His forgiveness for sins. And we pray this in His precious name. Amen. Amen. This morning, to give you a little context for our verse today, I'd like you to go to Second Chronicles, chapter 26. Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 26, one of the accounts of one of the kings in Israel's history. There are many kings, there are many names, uh, there's a succession of them. Some ruled a long time, some ruled a short time. And if we look at this passage, we we really should read the entire chapter, but we're going to kind of skim through. Then all the people of Judah, that is the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, who were 16, they took Uzziah. Uzziah, now if you look at the uh, companion passage to this in the kings, You'll notice his name is Azariah. And, you know, just like you have two names and I have two names, uh, you will find this in the Bible. And so if you see in in, uh, in the kings that his name is Azariah, you look at the context, it's Uzziah. It's the same person. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. 16 years old, old enough to drive, all right? Old enough to drive, old enough to be king. He was the one who rebuilt Elath, restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. So if you look over the reign of the kings of Israel, this is a long one. David and Solomon, each for 40 years in their reign. 52 years he reigned, one of the longest reigns of the history of the kings of Israel and Judah. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. Now notice this. He did what was right. This is not the normal this is not normally said about the kings because it wasn't always most of the time it was not true. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him, he, in the time of Zechariah, he instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And you read the rest of this passage, you'll see the accomplishments. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath. He's just kind of skimming through. He rebuilt the towns. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines. Verse 8, the Ammonites, those on the east side of of the Jordan River, they brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the borders of Egypt. Because he had become very powerful. He built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, the valley gate, and the angle wall. He fortified them. And we'll see he built uh, military towers with catapults to protect the city. And it was a time of, of great resurgence of Judah and their, their, their uh, military power and their authority and their strength as a nation. You'll see that in verse 10, he had people working his fields, he had vineyards, he had livestock. Uh, cattle. Verse 11: A well-trained army went out by divisions, and he gives, them, he gives the number of his his army and how skillful they were. In verse 15, we see about the machines he made to to protect the city. So he was, he was a very strong and powerful. You know, I remember I was thinking about this. I remember I'm um, gonna take this Jack off. I remember that um, as a child when these kids went out here, I was thinking. I remember one time as a child. In grade school, reading somewhere, something, and it just hit me like a thunderbolt that, you know, there will come a time when the United States of America will no longer be a world power. As a kid, you know, there's a certain security in thinking your, your nation is secure and strong and respected and so forth. And it just like, and of course, it went through all the nations and the empires in the world that at one time were great and are no longer are. And it just really kind of shook me like, really? That's, that's not possible. You know, there's a certain security in this. And, and think of the security in Judah. These are God's people. These are God's promised people. And there's this security and this strength that this righteous king who follows God, and God has blessed him, and, and they are secure from their enemies. They are, they, their wealth is growing, their power, their influence, but it's because they are being blessed by God in this particular case because the king is worshiping and following after God. And it must have been a real security among the prophets like Isaiah and others who, who were part of this whole context in Judah. These were God's people, God's promised people, God's promised land. In verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. You notice the progression. He became prideful. He became unfaithful to God. And then he went in and offered incense. He invaded the office of the priesthood. Now, this is not in our context to have priests and altars and places where only like say only the pastors can go or something like that. But in the context of the Old Testament, because because of what God had given them, and because it represented what was to come in the Lord Jesus Christ and God's holiness, as you know, only once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go into the temple and offer the incense. It was important. God told them that. They told them it was very serious. And it was a mark of arrogance. And, in fact, and it was a very good thing that the, the kingship, And the Levitical priesthood were not mixed. That was very important for this nation. But the king invaded the office of the priesthood. And he knew he shouldn't do this. He knew it was wrong. But it didn't matter. Why? Because his heart was proud. He was arrogant. You know, success has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Success has a way. In our culture, we measure everything by money and numbers. It has a way of doing that. And he became proud, pride, proudful. And the pride got a hold of him. And he went in there and Azariah, the priest in verse 17, with 80 other courageous priests, the Lord followed him in there. They knew this was a public spectacle. He must have announced, I am going in there and I am going to offer the incense. And don't tell me I can't. And they followed him in there, these 80 priests. And they confronted him and they said, this is not right for you to do this. They asked him to leave, to get out. In 19, Uzziah had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense. He became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Leprosy, a deadly disease. The word in the Hebrew can mean all sorts of skin infections. But in this particular case, it's the real thing. It's full-blown leprosy. And it's right across his forehead for everybody to see. And they were shocked to see all of a sudden leprosy across the king's forehead. And they all knew what that meant. They got him out of there. And he himself, in verse 20, was eager to leave because the Lord afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house. He was outside the city. He was outside Jerusalem. He was leprous. He was excluded from the temple of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace. Verse 22, the other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his fathers, was buried near them in a field for burial that belonged to the kings, for the people said he had leprosy. He had to be buried outside the city as well. King Uzziah. Isaiah chapter 6. We're told here that the rest of his records are written in Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah chapter 6. With that background. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled with the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died. You notice it doesn't necessarily say after he died. It says in the year he died. I am in the year 2018 right now. It hasn't ended, but I am in the year 2018. I could have said when I was in, during the year of 2017, it might be Uzziah is still alive. And it might be that, that it's in this transition time when this nation that was so strong and powerful that was so blessed by God, that there was this this fear and this insecurity that something bad is going to happen. Our, our king has transgressed and, and offended God terribly. And he has leprosy. And he is going to die. And his son is going to be king. And, and we don't know exactly how things are going to... This whole thing could come crashing down so quickly. And it's in that year, in that... Pivotal year in Israel's history, in Judah's history. It's in that year that he tells us that he died. That's when I saw the Lord seated high. And Notice his throne. It was, it was high in the throne room and he was exalted and his train filled the what? The temple. King Uzziah went into the temple and defiled the temple. The vision is in the temple. Now, there's a, there's a question, and we can't solve it. You're welcome to think about it and come to your conclusion. There are those who think that this vision he's having is of the temple in Jerusalem, and that this picture of God takes place in that temple, and it very well could have. Most of the Bible scholars and, and theologians tend to think it's a heavenly scene, that he's, he's seeing this in the heavens. But this picture in the heavens there is, it's it's a, it's a, there's a type on earth. We're told that in Hebrews, you know, we are told that the temple on earth is somehow related to the heavens. And, you know, it's a type and there's this connection between the heavens and where God is in heaven and what happened in the temple on earth. This scene could have been either one. It could have been in the temple in Jerusalem. It could have been in the heavens. Either way, it comes out the same. And we get this picture. What does he see? He sees the Lord seated on a throne. He sees it as high and exalted. And he sees the train of his robe that completely fills the temple. We'll put our slide up. And above him were seraphs. There were seraphs or seraphim. The, the, the seraphim is the plural for seraph. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and we have this picture of the of of these angels. And it says they were calling to one another. And here, this is our verse for this week: Isaiah chapter six and verse three. They were calling to one another, holy. As we sang today, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory had to be in Hebrew, because that's what Isaiah spoke, right? And we know it's what we speak in heaven, right? Hebrew. Karosh, karosh, karosh. Aranai Savioth, Milo, Kavod. Whole earth is full of His glory. These seraphim, and you notice this, I mean this, I, I put this scene, this because it's a fiery scene of sort of the angels, but there's a lot of pictures people have of them, and they all look really neat and tidy, and they all have the wings and everything. But remember, they were burning. The word seraph, that's what it means. It's a a Hebrew word, and Hebrew scholars agree. It's this idea of burning up. It's burning. It's not just light. It's burning. It's on fire. And these angels, you can imagine this scene. You notice they're above the Lord. They're above the... This is the only place in the Bible where these specific seraphim are mentioned. Now, there are other places in the Bible where angels are mentioned and there may be the same connection, but this is the only place we actually have this word, this seraphim. And they each have they each have six wings. And with two, they're covering their faces so they're not looking at God. With two, they're covering their legs and feet. And with two, they are flying. And notice they are flying. They're not just... I'm thinking of like the hummingbirds the outside our window, the hummingbird feeder, right? And their wings are just going so fast you can hear them buzzing. And they're flying, but they're right there. But they are flying. And these seraphim are above God. Isaiah sees God. That's what he says. He doesn't say, I saw a likeness of God. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I saw these angelic beings above him. And it doesn't say there's two of them. Because they are calling one to another, we might automatically think, well, there's two of them. One's calling to the other. But the Hebrew just says that there was, there was this one and there was these. This and this, this and this, and this and this, and this were calling back and forth. It was an antiphonal. And, they may, and maybe, maybe they were saying, maybe the first were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And maybe in response, the whole earth is full of His glory. And you can imagine this scene of going back and forth and this crying out. Maybe it's a host of angels. It doesn't say two of them. It may be a host of these creatures with these six wings on fire burning. And they're above God and they're crying out His holiness. And the earth is full of His glory. This is the only attribute of God that's repeated like this three times. God is love. God is just. God is good. God's omniscient. God's omnipotent. You know, all these attributes of God, right? But this is the only place where you have the, his holiness is repeated three times Holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, Kadosh, Karosh is the Lord of hosts, of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah sees sees this vision. But he says he sees it. He doesn't say, I dreamt it. He says, I saw it. I saw God. God is invisible, God is spirit. But I saw him. And I saw this, I think, a host of angels above him crying out. And verse 4 At the sound of their voices, this antiphonal choir singing back and forth Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. His whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy. And the sound is filling the temple. And He says, the, the doorposts, they shook. The doorposts, the thresholds, they shook. The temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah, at this critical time, this is the year that King Uzziah died. It's the year that... And, 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 and you might ask the question, why is this here? Why isn't this at the beginning of Isaiah? Why is it in chapter 6? If you read verses chapters 1 through 5, you will see Isaiah has already announced God's judgment coming upon his people. But it's because there's something that is going to go to the next level with his, his ministry, his calling here. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when we were in Israel, we got to see the Isaiah scroll. We didn't get a whole lot of time because everything was, we, were going so, we had so many things to see. But in the shrine of the book in Jerusalem, in West Jerusalem, there's a complete facsimile. It's, it's a complete facsimile, meaning it's not the actual real one, but a complete reproduction of it. And you walk around. It's, it's one of the few scrolls that were found that were complete. You walk around the entire scroll of Isaiah. This scroll, this, this book, this prophet that we have so many, they used to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. For behold, son is given, a child is born. The virgin shall conceive. He was like one who who, who we esteem stricken, smitten, smitten of God for our afflictions. On him our sins were heaped. This is Isaiah. The lamb will lay down like a lion. This is Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet sees God in his throne room or in the temple. And he sees this host of angels and his ears are splitting from the sound and he, and he, and he, and he falls down and he says, woe, I like what the NIV says here, woe to me. <laughs> that some of the newer translations have said, I am dead. <laughs> Actually, you know what the Hebrew, the word here in its actual base meaning is? It's the word "silent." I'm silent. If you're dead, you're silent. <laughs> okay, I'm silent. I have nothing to say. I'm undone. Woe is me. I cried out. I am ruined. I'm silent. Why? I'm a man of unclean lips. I live. Among, you know. I, 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 you have to. You have to appreciate this. He doesn't say. These people are so witnesses. I am a man of unclean lips. I know myself. I know. I know. I'm human, and I've just seen the holiness of God. I've heard them cry out His holiness. Woe is me! I am silent. I am done. I am dead. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a culture and a people of unclean lips and uncleanness. We are sinful. But my eyes, voice says, my eyes have seen the king, Adonai Zavioth, the Lord of hosts. The word here in the Hebrew is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, however it was pronounced. You read this in the synagogue, you come to that word, you see it, but you never say it. You see it, but you never say it. You always say Adonai. You always say that. You never pronounce his name out of respect for his name. I have seen the king, Adonai, Zavioth. And then this, one of the seraphs, one of the angels on fire. Well, I think it's okay. Use your imagination for a minute. Here hes he, he, he thinks he's finished. I mean, this is not just prose. He thinks he's finished. And all of a sudden this fiery angel with the six wings on fire burning comes to him with a coal, a live coal, a fiery coal in his hand. And he takes the tongs from the altar and he, and he takes it and he touches it to my mouth, my unclean lips. And he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard and I heard the voice of the Lord, and He said this, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Who's the us? Well, from my understanding of Scripture, when you take the entire scriptures together, and you understand, especially from the New Testament, that our God is one who is more than one. Yes, we believe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is what? One. Echad. Which is a word that's a compound word. You are one. We are one congregation. We're a compound one. Our God is one. That we believe the Bible teaches our God is one who is more than one. His very name, Elohim, is plural. It's the same name that will be used for pagan gods when you want to talk about more than one God. And nobody really knows why. Why? The I am is plural. Seraphim, Elohim, Elohim is plural. Our God is one who is more than one. And I believe when he says, who will go for us? Who will we send for us? I believe it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't think he's just talking to the angels. Because they're not going for the angels. They're going for God. Who will we send? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Now, I want you to take time on your own to read verses 9 through 13. We'd like to think that our call to service and ministry is always going to be a great success, right? Like the Apostle Paul, who when he was called, the Lord said, I must show him all things he must what? Suffer. Not succeed him, but suffer for the sake of the gospel. The messenger doesn't matter. It's the message that matters. And Isaiah says, here am I. God, I will go. I don't, you've cleansed my lips. I don't deserve it, but I will go. And you read this passage and his commission is, Isaiah, you go and you keep on preaching and they are not going to listen. And that is part of your job. It's interesting in the Jewish Publication Society translation of the Bible that I have that I mentioned to you, it's the Jewish study Bible that the Jews would use. The, trans, in the notes on the reference notes on the side it says, it makes this comment, it makes this comment, that they are beyond repentance. It is a message: repentance is no longer an option. Repentance is no longer an option. But Isaiah, you get out there and you keep doing this. But they are not going to repent. is no longer an option. But there is a glimmer of hope. Because at the very end of verse 13, it does say, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And there is hope. There will be a seed planted. It's not going to happen in your lifetime, Isaiah. Your job is to go out and convict them but they're not going to change. But there will be a seed planted and it will bear fruit. So this week when you learn this verse, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of God's Glory. Holiness is God's essence. It's his attribute. Glory is his expression of it in his actions. His holiness and his glory. And a thought occurred to me as, we, as I was looking at this verse this week and, and learning it and thinking about this. It occurred to me. Has it occurred to you? Do we have any connection are you making any connection? Can you say last week's verse with me if you learned it? And, I don't, and if anybody's here and you're new and do not I don't want you to feel bad, and if you didn't learn it, don't feel bad. No one's keeping score, okay? And I'd like you to say it with me and say it with confidence. If you make a mistake, nobody's keeping score, okay? We all make mistakes, as the kids pointed out to me last week, all right? Psalm... 33, 5. The Lord bless righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unholy. blood. Any connection? The earth is what? The earth is full. Cliff, put the next slide. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. And I got to thinking about that. And I am thinking too much, so I haven't solved it. <laughs> so I'm going to let you think about it. Really, I'm going to let you think about it. I'll let you think about this. What does this mean? In what sense? I mean, this is what the Bible says. The, the, the seraphim don't lie. <laughs> okay? They are crying out back and forth. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The psalmist says, the earth, and, and both times it's the same word, arets. And, and arets in the Hebrew means the land, The earth. Not the cosmos, but the land, the earth, our world, the physical world. The psalmist says the earth is full of God's unfailing love, his chesed, his goodness, his kindness. And I ask you this, how is our world today, right now? Think of this, think of our world, think of... Turn the lights on a little bit, cliff so you can see. The, the, the picture is Seattle back before they built all the more buildings we see today, right? There's not 50 cranes down there. How is your world today full of God's love and full of God's glory? How is it? When you leave here tomorrow, when you step outside your apartment door, You step out into your neighborhood. When you get in your car. When you get on the highway. When you go to the grocery store. When you go to the used book store, used record store. Wherever you like to go. If you have weird habits like that. How is your world full of God's glory and God's unfailing love? When you pick up that power tool tomorrow at work the paint sprayer, or you're writing that legal brief, or you're doing someone's taxes, or you're driving someone's delivery, when you're waiting on that customer, when you're in coffee with your friends, when you're going to take care of your grandkids, whatever you're doing tomorrow, when you work in that doctor's office, whatever it is, when you're home with your children, you're reading to them, how is your world full of God's glory and unfailing love? Is it? Is it really? Does it feel like that to you? Does your world feel like it's full of God's glory and unfailing love? The seraphim don't lie. They don't lie. There has got to be some sense. There has got to be some real sense. And, you know, we, we're not a mystical people, okay? And, our, and our, we come from a tradition, in our Reformation tradition. Uh, we are not a, we do not, we're not a mystical people. And I, I, I would use words cautiously. But, you know, there is, there is a history that in the Christian theology, we have a history of some terms like mystery... The word transcendent is part of our Christian vocabulary historically. We talk of God's eminence and his glory, his, 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 his holiness, and we talk about his transcendence, his presence. Listen, friends, I'm asking you to think about this. I'm I'm still thinking about it. That's why I can't. We're going to close here in a minute. I I can't resolve it for you. I don't have the answer, but. That's why there's a question mark there. What does it mean? What does it mean? Are we do we ever are we ever willing to to practice God's presence to really stop and just be aware of His presence? Paul says in Ephesians, our warfare is not against what flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual authorities in the heavenly place. These are these are real. There are really angels. The Lord Jesus Christ talking about children says their angels watch over them. We, we aren't given the details. But these angelic creatures, these powers show up. Those opposed to God show up. And in some real sense, our world is full of God's presence. And we are the body of Christ. Now let me just close with two verses. I want you to look at it. We're just going to close. So I want you to think about this. I want you to turn to John chapter 12, the Gospel of John chapter 12. We're right, jumping right in the middle of the context, so we're just going to read it though. In John chapter 12, toward the end of the Lord's life, as he was speaking. And Jesus is speaking, and Jesus has done miracles. And it says in verse 37, even after Jesus had done all his miracles in their presence, they still would not believe. They would not believe him. The scholars and the rabbis and the Pharisees, the priests, for the most part, they wouldn't believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, and this is in chapter 6, that we just, the chapter we were just reading, he has blinded their eyes, he is dead in their hearts, They can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. That's right out of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. John says Isaiah saw Jesus in Isaiah chapter 6. That's what he says. And then finally in Colossians... Paul's letter, let me just read this to you. In Colossians, you can read this on your own. And in chapter 1, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the image, image of the invisible God. How does something invisible have an image? If it's invisible, it's invisible. But Christ somehow is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things, that's Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, Jesus Christ, and for him. He is before, now look at this, he is before all things, And in him, all things hold together presently. Somehow, somehow, in Jesus Christ, creation is today held together. And then he says this, he is the head of the body, the church. That's us the church, the body of Christ. So I'll leave you with this today, to ponder. I want you to at least take a second tomorrow, maybe 30 seconds, wherever you are, and just maybe something will click in your mind to just stop and ponder and look around and see God's unfailing love and glory. It fills the earth. It fills the entire earth. He is our Lord. Let's close our service today. We have some wonderful songs we've been singing about God, His holiness, His attributes. We're going to close our service and continue to marvel at the wonder and glory and holiness and presence of God of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our world and in our lives. Will you stand with us? You know, as you read the Old Testament, you know what Israel's sin was? You know what it was? What was their sin? What, what brought them down? Unbelief and it manifested itself in What? idolatry. And you know what it was? It was not that Israel said, Adonai Zavioth doesn't exist. No, he was now just one of many gods. He was their God, but he was just one of many gods. That was their sin. That was the pride and the disbelief that Isaiah challenged them on. He is either the God of all the universe and the only God, or He is no God. If He is your God, it's because you receive forgiveness through sins through Jesus Christ. It is the only way. Jesus said, we didn't say it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that is an invitation to everyone. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can trust your word. And Father, we thank you for the, the privilege of, of wondering, of imagining. I, I've been imagining this scene in my head and I'm sure I haven't got it right. But to think of this scene of this myriad of Fiery angels on fire, and think of the fear and the and the dread that Isaiah must have felt. But to think of the privilege, when the Bible says, "You said no one can see God and live," and yet Isaiah says he saw you and he lived. And then, as we're told in the Gospel of John, that the Lord Jesus Christ is whom he saw. And Lord, we wonder. We are amazed. We are amazed. And Father, I just pray that this congregation, this family of God, will have the understanding to some degree and be able to understand your presence in our midst and your presence in their lives and our children as they leave here today. Even the littlest children that we have with us that we are serving today as they leave this place and they go into their world and our homes in their neighborhoods, in their schools, wherever you take them, you are there with them. You are here. You are really, really here. And you are really in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we go with humbleness, with thankfulness, and with wonder. In our wonderful and precious Savior's name, all God's people can say together.